In February 2020, I had the opportunity to sit with Ben Morgan from the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications. Now, it may seem unfathomable just a few months later to be able to have a conversation about crisis communications and not mention coronavirus or COVID-19. But that's exactly what we did. There were no decrees for social distancing at the time we recorded. The virus was in the news, but it wasn't yet the pandemic that it would become. Ben is one of the most respected crisis communications professionals in Canada, and he was long before 2020. The observations he makes in this episode and the advice he gives, just as relevant and timely and important as ever. I don't think we can make any runway. Uh, what about over to our right? Anything in New Jersey, maybe Teterboro? It was a day okay, yeah. like 10,000 other days. That's how Chesley Sully Sullenberger, Captain Sully, describes January 15, 2009, when he boarded Airbus A320 in New York to captain the flight to North Carolina. On today's podcast, Crisis Communications. This is the captain. Brace for impact. 500. We can't make it. Okay, which runway would you like to Tito, bro? We're going to end up in the Hudson. Too low, terrain. I'm sorry, say again, Cactus? Too low, terrain. Too low, terrain. Movie Sully, Miracle on the Hudson with Tom Hanks and Aaron Eckert, put out by Warner Brothers. My guest today, my name's Doug Downs. My guest today is Ben Morgan from the Center for Crisis Communications. Hi, Ben. Hi, Doug. What a treat to be on your show. Excellent. Good to have you. Ben is the principal of the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications. He has a master's in professional communications from Royal Roads and is a sessional instructor at both Royal Roads University and Mount Royal University. In fact, you're heading out to Victoria soon uh, to begin some sessions, as I understand. I'm actually going to Victoria to Royal Roads campus. If you haven't seen it, Google it. It's worth it. In fact, Deadpool uh, and X-Men were often filmed uh, really? as, as the Royal Roads castle as a backdrop. Uh, for the School of the Gifted from the X-Men. But I'm actually heading there because uh, Dr. Timothy Coombs from Texas is a guest lecturer at uh, Royal Roads next week. And I just have to go meet the guy. Yeah, uh, I use his books in my classes. I use his uh, situational uh, theories in, 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 our, in our coursework. And so it's kind of a it's enough momentum or motivation to get me back out to the island. So I'm so looking forward to that. And, and that that's timely because we're going to talk about situational crisis theory um, a bit later in this podcast, which is one of the leading 
leading theories. Uh, ben, uh, my guest, led the crisis communications for the city of Calgary during the floods in 2013. Province-wide in those floods, five people were killed. There was about $6 billion in financial losses and property damage, as well as the local communications during the 2016 Fort McMurray wildfires. Fair to say, Ben, you've you've been in the hot seat, so to speak. The hot seat and the cold seat, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll just, that's a, that's a great opener. Um, I will just preface that, though. Uh, so the city of Calgary, uh, the communications response was uh, done by an amazing group of professional communications staff. That's a good point. And uh, I, I held a leadership role, but it really was a collective effort of an amazing group of people that were dedicated to helping uh, Calgarians see them way th- see the way through at the time Canada's costliest natural disaster and largest peacetime evacuation. Great point because any communications effort worth, worth its salt is the result of a team and a lot of leaders, right? So we opened with that scene from the movie Sully and I meant for it to be a, a, a metaphor. So if you liken communications planning to being a pilot, imagine as a communications professional, we're all pilots. So in that vein, we've all flown planes. We've all flown them through turbulent weather and rough landings. That's that's risk management. That's issues management. And we've trained for crises in simulations. But as, as Captain Sullenberger would say, there, there's no simulation uh, that will really prepare you for the real-life thing. You've been through two huge crises playing a significant role in the communications. Is that fair to say that that once you're in it, you've got to prepare, but but living it is is something else? Living it is absolutely something else. Um, you know, we adopted a phrase that is your crisis communication plan is as good as it is until the day you need it. Um, you know, if you look at the Calgary floods as an example, uh, for several years, the city of Calgary had done flood modeling to better understand the implications of the floodplain and, you know, the one in 10 year, the one in 50 year, the one in 100 year flood. Uh, they worked through that modeling and, and there was opportunity to run some flooding simulations. Uh, in the city of Calgary, we have flooding almost every year. Uh, a lot of that flooding is planned and expected and, and very well managed. And so we've exercised on that. Uh, there was no exercise for the one in 100 year flood with a complete loss of our downtown core with a massive evacuation of 26 different communities somewhere in the neighborhood of 80,000 people uh power grid failure um uh, evacuation of the zoo uh and let's throw in a fully loaded diesel train overhanging uh, on a bridge over the river that's about to fail you know not even the not even the nastiest scenario designer is going to come up with a scenario like that to test an emergency management or a crisis communication team. As much as you want to design a really good scenario, you can't make up or uh, create something as dynamic and challenging as life mm-hmm. can deliver. Mm-hmm. Your company, the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications, um, this is in following the work of Dr. Vincent Cavello. Yeah, so our center, the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications, uh, is actually a, a growth point from the Center for Risk Management, which was in existence for about 25 years, um, run by a man by uh, the name of David Degonier. 
Mr. de Gagne retired. And it was at that point that uh, Dr. Cavello asked if I wanted to carry on kind of David's legacy, if you will, uh, which of course I did. It was a, a huge honor to have Dr. Cavello say, would you like to do this? Dr. Cavello, to me, uh, when I was doing my master's degree, I, I researched and studied Dr. Cavello. Of course, my area of interest was crisis. Uh, I was a paramedic for 16 years before I did a shift into uh, communication, so I naturally was drawn to crisis events. And so I studied him uh, in, my, in my research uh, for my master's degree, and it was after the flood that I, what the hell? And I reached out to the man. Um, <laughs> And I ended up hiring him and brought him to the city of Calgary on, uh, and he, 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 he ran through a, uh, uh, his crisis and risk communications workshop with us. He is, uh, he's fascinating in that his master's degree is in neuroscience. And so when it comes to philosophy and academia, Rather than saying, hey, I got this idea or here's a, here's a new way to look at things or maybe we should consider this, he takes it to another step and he, he puts brain probes on people's heads yeah. and tests messages and sequences and wording and he puts people into MRI machines and watches what parts of their brains are activated when they're in high stress, high concern situations. And based on that research, so it's it's science-based. And so based on that research, he's able to develop tools that communications and emergency management people can utilize. Simple tools, 2793, CCO, um, that just help shape and guide how we, not ought to be, but how we could be communicating with our stakeholders. So the mix there between theory and practice is that you need to plan, you need to prepare, you need to deeply understand the theory so that when this once in a century event happens and you are, it feels like you're flying from the seat of your pants, you're actually not. You're still working from a framework or a textbook of some kind and acting in, in a cogent way. Yeah, you know, if you uh, if you go to my LinkedIn page, uh, I just did an article uh, this week um, titled Practice Doesn't Necessarily Make Perfect, but it sure helps. And the analogy that I just, I just found myself organically using this analogy when I'm working with clients and you're talking about crisis planning or crisis communication planning, I relate back to my days of a, as a paramedic. And when we were in paramedic school, we learned, one of the things we learned is how to properly remove a patient from a, from a car, as an example, uh, using spinal mobilization procedures. We did that in the classroom, used classroom chairs and imagined we were in a car. If we were feeling, re- you know, if we were feeling really adventurous, we would go out to the parking lot and get in one of our cars and try to take our patient, you know, one of our students out of that car. Uh, the principles of spinal mobilization remain the same across the board, whether you're pretending to sit in a classroom chair or doing it in a real car, uh, whether you're pretending it's a vehicle accident or sporting incident or whatever, the principles of spinal mobilization stay the same. And that is somebody always holds the head, hold the neck in line. That person doesn't let go of the head. If they need to let go of the head, they have to have somebody else take over. Any moves of the body is done in one move. The spinal column remains in line, right? Like there's, Mm. that's just the principles of it. Mm -hmm. 
And so we practice, 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 practice that, and we get it. But on the first day on the job, and you're called to a car accident where the car is flipped upside down in a ditch on fire with the patient hanging upside down, mm. like we didn't practice for this. Mm. What do we? It doesn't matter. All you do is fall back to the principles, and the you know the principles don't change. Hold the head. Nobody leaves the head. As little movement as possible. You know, one line. One line. Keep those. Keep the spinal cord in line. And you adapt and overcome. And the same is true for crisis management, crisis communications. It doesn't matter what you're thrown at. And it's like, oh my gosh, we didn't practice that scenario. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you've got solid, uh, a solid foundation to, to build from, then you're just setting yourself up for success. And, and sometimes crisis is, is just like that. It's a fire. It's a flood. It's an explosion. It's a car with a passenger flipped upside down. It happens obvious. Just like that, you know you have a crisis. Sometimes crisis kind of sneaks up from on you. And uh, healthcare is a perfect example of sometimes crisis creeping up on you. I want to play you a scene from the 2011 Warner Brothers movie Contagion. This is from the beginning of the movie when the character played by Lawrence Fishburne from the Center for Disease Control, or CDC, he's the lead physician in the movie, He's talking with the communications person, the character played by Kate Winslet, who is planning early communications. Camp near a lake. Yeah, I was reading that last summer they had an outbreak of enterovirus encephalitis, 103 cases, mainly children. Well, it's probably too cold up there for that right now. As of last night, there were five deaths and 32 cases. There's a cluster in an elementary school. Okay, that's the kind of thing you're going to have to be prepared for. It's going to be all over the news big time. What's your single overriding communications objective? We're isolating the sick and quarantining those who we believe were exposed. Okay, good. As of this moment, you and I are attached at the cell phone. If you need resources, call me. If you get into a political dogfight, call me. If you find yourself wide awake, staring at the walls at 3 a.m., wondering why you took the job, So there you go. Ben, this scene really addresses the importance of early communication. When the media and social media is pushing for information and saying, we need info, we need info, what's going on, what's going on? And and you may not have that. You may not have it confirmed at the very least. And if you don't speak to it, if you leave silence, you enable those communication bodies, media, social media influencers, to start generating myth and rumor. My goodness, social media can just take off from there. You know, that we're certainly living in a different environment today where uh, people uh, and people organize, however you want to define that, audiences uh, expect to be kept updated and informed about what's happening, especially if it's impacting them. Um, five years ago, maybe, well, more than that now, Ten, let's say 10 years ago, classic crisis communication practice was let's get all the information we have let's make sure it's verified we'll craft a media release we'll (laughs) double check it we'll put it you know we'll get a holding statement out you know and by the time that happens you're three hours into an event um you know three hours into an event from a from a corporate or an organizational perspective is too long the conversation around the Boston bomb marathon started about 42 seconds after the first bomb exploded. Wow. The first post on Twitter was an image of the smoke rising from the backpack that had exploded. That's when the conversation started. Boston authorities took, and I forget the numbers, um, three or four hours 
before the Boston authorities became a part of that conversation. They were stuck in, we need to make sure we're giving the right information. We need to make sure it's all verified, you know, that, that kind of spin. In that three to four hour gap, there was a tremendous amount of citizen investigation, citizen journalism, accusations uh, that actually somebody took their own life because they were being accused of being the bomber when they weren't. Um, And so there was a huge gap. People want and expect information. And it doesn't mean you have to have all the information. And yes, absolutely, before you are a part of that conversation, you need to have something to say. It's easy to say we are aware of an event. Our priority now is, and here's where you can go to get the latest information. Let me ask you about messaging. Um, What role does empathy play in messaging when it comes to a crisis in particular? So I struggle with this one a lot, actually. Hmm. Um, I think empathy plays a very significant role, so long as it's genuine and authentic. Goes right back to the days of Theodore Roosevelt. Um, People want to know that you care before they care what you know. Uh, and so when crafting messages, um, I, I use a tool called the message map by Dr. Cavello, uh, three key messages, nine words each, uh, nine seconds. Um, the first one of those messages when possible and when appropriate ought to be a message of compassion or empathy. And when you have a crisis, things are happening really quickly. I know the ability to prioritize and focus on those priorities is absolutely paramount. I'll play you a clip from an interview with the real Captain Sullenberger, in which he describes that moment when when he knew his plane was going down and how he set his mind to focus on what he had to do. And so I, I chose to do only the highest priority items. And then I had the discipline to ignore everything I did not have time to do as being only distractions and potential detriments to our performance. You see, I'm also well-read, and so I knew the the neurobiology. I knew that multitasking is a myth, that when we think we're multitasking, what we are in fact doing is switching rapidly between tasks, not doing either of them well. And so I chose not to try to do too much. That's a great, uh, great example right there, because there's chaos all around you. There's a million different things happening, uh, not just with the crisis itself, but with the communications that needs to take place. It's a matter of prioritizing and focusing. And you live that in those floods in Calgary and in those fires up in Fort McMurray. Well, it's a great segue into um, emergency management and the ICS incident command structure. Um, you know, many organizations will operate from an IC, with an ICS model. And one of the, uh, one of the keys of, for me anyway, is P-POST. So P-POST stands for priorities, problems, objectives, strategies, and tactics. And it's really, it really helps manage management and communications folks drill through all of the clutter and really identify what the real priority is right now. And, and you could argue that's life safety, incident stabilization, and then environmental implications. Uh, it might be different no matter what your, what your organization is. But really identifying and, and clearly demonstrating what our current priority is. Um, in a communications role, I would then take that identified 
uh, priority or objective out of the emergency operations center or incident command post and bring that back to the communications team and clearly say, here's our priority and here's our objective. Uh, you need to know what you're working on and what the priority is and not get lost, not get lost down in the weeds. You mentioned Timothy Coombs at the beginning. I'll circle back to Dr. Coombs. One of the more scholarly theories in crisis communications is situational crisis communications theory, or SCCT. It's an acronym for everything. It's the theory that if people know about past crises involving your organization or your reputation, that will have impact on how the public will respond to this new crisis and communications planning uh, has to adjust to that. Well, not only how you've handled a crisis in the past, but how like organizations have handled a crisis in the past. So if you look at the airline industry as an example, you know, if, if, you, can, if you do a case study on United uh, with, what was his name, Dr. Howe, um, the physician that got dragged off the aircraft. Sure. You know, that impacts how people view the airline industry as a as a whole american airlines right or, yeah sure so so yeah so uh coombs situational crisis communication theory he identifies response strategies so and again they're they're more guides so overarching how are we going to approach this thing and it's based on who is ultimately responsible for causing this crisis as well as how significant the threat is to that organization's reputation. Mm. That can't, that isn't always as clear. So if you look at the Fort McMurray fires as an example, who was responsible for that? Well, nobody knew for, for a long time. Uh, you could argue that the municipality and the Fort McMurray fire department was responsible to mitigate or to bring that, you know, that event to an, to an end or a close, but who was ultimately responsible for that didn't come out for, for years. Right. Mm. Um, so basically Coombs has identified a few strategies and one of them is rebuilding, uh, rebuilding relationships by uh, redeeming the organization's reputation, uh, rebuild crisis strategies um, are most frequently used in response to accident crisis, especially when the organization has had a history. Uh, Boeing as an example, might be looking at rebuilding strategy. Uh, he's got the diminished strategy, uh, and diminished strategy works to minimize the amount of responsibility that's placed on that organization. Um, the reality is, is there's there's the actual responsibility and the perceived responsibility. So who is who is the public or your audience? Who are they perceiving as responsible? And if they're perceiving you or your organization and your response is it wasn't it wasn't us wasn't us, then you, that audience isn't necessarily going to believe it. There's opportunity. There's a <laughs> tremendous amount of opportunity. Um, you know, when, when you when the in the Chinese language when they spell crisis, they use two characters. One represents threat. The other represents opportunity. And a lot of organizations seem to be afraid to seize that opportunity. There's opportunity to boost or bolster your, organize, your organization's reputation by just being real and genuine and not trying to deflect and, you know, we're not going to say anything. We'll, if we just don't say anything, this will, this will go away. Let's fly <laughs> under the radar. And it, that's especially true in today's environment. We are so connected. Information moves so fast that if you're not being 
real unauthentic today, you're going to get called on it. Ben, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, this was fun. Thanks. Let's do it again. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Ben Morgan, you can at bmorgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, at crisiscoms.ca. The company's website is all one word, lowercase, centerforcrisiscommunications.com. If you liked what you heard today, would you do us a favor, recommend this podcast to one friend. And if you have an idea for an episode or just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.